really any kind of health threat. I reached out to make friends with him. He tested my scent and then bit my hand. Ow! That's it, Idabel shouted as if she were talking to a wayward child. Come on! She took the door of Mongrel and shoved him into the storage room that connected C2 to C1. As soon as she closed the door, Pharaoh was scratching to get back in. I'm sorry, she said. Me too. But you know that dog has to go. I held out my hand to her. The skin was broken, but it wasn't bad. Has he had his rabies shot? Oh, yes. Yes, please, Mr. Rollins. She took me by my injured hand. Let me help. We went to the desk at the front of the class. I sat down on the edge of her blotter while she opened the top drawer and came out with the standard teacher's first aid box. You know, dog bites are comparatively pretty clean, she said. She had a bottle of iodine, a cotton ball, and a flesh-colored bandage. Flesh-colored, that is, if you had pink flesh. When she dabbed the iodine on my cut, I winced, but it wasn't because of the stink. That woman smelled good, clean and fresh, and sweet like the deep forest is sweet. It's not bad, Mr. Rawlins. And Pharaoh didn't mean it. He's just upset. He knows that Holland wants to kill him. Kill him? Somebody wants to kill your dog? My husband. She nodded and was mostly successful in holding back the tears. I've been, been away for a few days. When I got back home last night, Holly went out. But when he came back, he was going to kill Pharaoh. Mrs. Turner gripped my baby finger. It's amazing how a man can feel sex anywhere on his body. He wants to kill your dog? I asked in a lame attempt to use my mind to avoid what my body was thinking. I waited till he was gone and then I drove here, Mrs. Turner wept quietly. My hand decided all by itself to comfort her shoulder. Why is he so mad? I shouldn't have asked, but my blood was moving faster than my mind. I don't know, she said sadly. He made me do something, and I did it, but afterwards he was still mad. She put her shoulder against mine while I brought my other hand to rest on her side. The thirty desks in the classroom all faced us attentively. Pharaoh's a smart dog, she whispered in my ear. He knew what Holly said. He was scared. Pharaoh whimpered out a sad note from his storage room. Idabel leaned back against my arm and looked up. We might have been slow dancing if there had been music in the band. I don't know what to do, she said. I can't ever go back there. I can't. He's going to be in trouble and I'll be in it with him. But Pharaoh's innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. As she talked, she leaned closer. With me sitting on the desk, we were near to the same height. Our faces were almost touching. I didn't know what she was talking about, and I didn't want to know. I'd been on good behavior for more than two years. I was out of the streets and had my job with the Los Angeles Board of Education. I took care of my kids, cashed my paychecks, stayed away from liquor. I steered clear of the wrong women, too. Maybe I'd been a little too good. I felt an urge in that classroom, but I wasn't going to make the move. That's when Idabel Turner kissed me. Two years of up early and off to work dissolved like a sugar cube under the tap. Oh, she whispered as my lips pressed her neck. Yes. The tears were all gone. She looked me in the eye and worked her tongue slowly around with mine. A deep grunt went off of my chest like an underwater explosion. It just came out of me. Her eyes opened wide as she realized how much I was moved. I stood and lifted her up on the desk. She spread her legs and pushed her chest out at me. She said they'll be coming soon, and then gave me three fast kisses that said that this was just the beginning. 
My pants were down before I could stop myself. As I leaned forward, she let out a single syllable that said, Here I am. I've been waiting for you, Ezekiel Porterhouse Rollins. Take my arms, my legs, my breasts. Take everything. And I answered in the same language. They'll be coming soon, she said as her tongue pressed my left nipple through thin cotton. Oh, go slow. The clock on the wall behind her said that it was 7.02. I'd come to the door at 6.49. Less than a quarter of an hour and I was deeply in the throes of passion. I wanted to thank God or his least favorite angel. They'll be coming soon, she said. The phonograph of her mind on a skip. No, go slow. The desks all sat at attention. Farrell whimpered from his cell. Too much, she hissed. I didn't know what she meant. When the desk started rocking, I didn't care who might walk into the room. I would have gladly given up my two years of a cured pension and my two weeks a year vacation for the few moments of ecstasy that teased and tickled about five inches below my navel. Mr. Rawlins, she cried. I lifted her from the desk not to perform some silly acrobatics, but because I needed to hold her tight to my heart. I needed to let her know that this was what I'd wanted and needed for two years without knowing it. It all came out in a groan that was so loud and long that later on, when I was alone, I got embarrassed remembering it. I stood there holding her aloft with my eyes closed. The cool air of the room played against the back of my thighs and I felt like laughing. I felt like sobbing, too. What was wrong with me? Standing there half-naked in the classroom on a weekday morning. Idabel had her arms around my neck. I didn't even feel her weight. If we were at my house, I would have carried her to the bed and started over again. Put me down, she whispered. I squeezed her. Please, she said, echoing the word in my own mind. I put her back on the desk. We looked at each other for what seemed like a long time, slight tremors going through our bodies now and then. I couldn't bear to pull away. She had a kind of stunned look on her face. When I leaned over to kiss her forehead, I experienced a feeling that I had known many times in my life. It was that feeling of elation before I embarked on some kind of risky venture. In the old days, it was about the police and criminals in the streets of Watts in South Central L.A., but not this time. Not again. I swallowed hard and gritted my teeth with enough force to crack stone. I'd slip, but I would not fall. Mrs. Turner was shoving her panties into a white patent leather purse while I zipped my pants. She smiled and went to open the door for Pharaoh. The dog skulked in with his tail between his legs and his behind dragging on the floor. I felt somehow triumphant over that little rat dog, like I had taken his woman and made him watch it. It was an ugly feeling, but I told myself he was just a dog. Mrs. Turner picked Pharaoh up and held him while looking into my eyes. I didn't want to get involved in her problems, but I could do something for her. Maybe I can keep the dog in the hopper room in my office, I said. Oh, came the breathy voice. That would be so kind. It's only until this evening. I'm going to my girlfriend's tonight. He won't be any bother, I promise. She handed Pharaoh to me. He was trembling. At first I thought he was scared from the new environment and the strange pair of hands. But when I looked in his eyes, I saw... Definite canine hatred. He was shaking with rage. Mrs. Turner scratched the dog's ear and said, Go on now, honey. Mr. Rollins will take care of you. I took a step away from her and she smiled. I don't even know your first name, she said. Easy, I said. Call me easy. 
Chapter 2 Hi, Easy, Edame Harris greeted me in our common Texan drawl. She was an old friend who I was almost always happy to see, but not then. Edda worked with me, and the business I had just gotten through was nowhere near my job description. She was standing outside of Bungalow C. Behind her sprawled the nearly empty asphalt yard. The pavement gave off a yellowish glow in the dawn light. There were already two girls playing tetherball and a small group of boys sitting on the ninth-grade lunch court. Beyond them, at the southern end of the schoolyard, sat the fenced-off gardens. Up on a high grassy hill behind me stood the old brick buildings that housed the administration offices, library, and most of the classrooms of the school. Edda, how you doing? She didn't answer me. Just turned her gaze down toward the shivering dog in my arms. It's Mrs. Turner's dog. They fumigated her house and she had to bring him in with her, I said, happy that my old-time lying reflex was still intact. I'm going to put him back in the hopper room in the main office. Uh-huh, she said. Yeah. We walked across the playground, past the nine classroom bungalows, to the larger tan structure that was the maintenance building, a building that the custodians and workmen called the main office. Nice day, I said. Uh-huh, Etta replied. She rolled back the steel-encased fire door, and I followed her in. It was a large room with a long rectangular table down the middle. The cluttered table was strewn with newspapers and magazines that the janitors, carpenters, and electricians read on their union-guaranteed coffee breaks. The walls were lined with shelves that held various cleaning materials. In the back corner stood a large ash desk, where I sat every afternoon, administering the laborers who kept the school running. Behind the desk was a door that led to my personal hopper room. I unlocked the door to the deep storage closet and tossed Pharaoh in among the steel shelves. He yelped when he hit the chilly cement floor, and I felt a cold-hearted satisfaction. I thought you couldn't have no animals not in a cage around here, Easy, Etta asked. It's just a special thing, Etta. Dog will be gone tonight. Uh-huh, she said for the third time. What's wrong with you, I asked. All I can say is that you could take a nigger out of the street, but you sure can't pull him out of his skin. What the hell is that supposed to mean? My language got closer to the street as I got angrier. What you doing moaning and groaning up in that woman's classroom? What you doing sneaking at the door, I asked back. If we were men, it might have come to blows. But Edame was nobody I wanted to fight. She was a large woman with powerful arms, and I'd been in love with her off and on for my entire adult life. Before she could reply, the door slid open and Jorge Pena walked in. Pena was a red-colored Mexican-American who was loose-limbed, chubby, and fast with a grin. He had a deadly handsome mustache and dark eyes that laughed silently and often. Mr. Rawlins, Miss Harris, Pena greeted us. How are you? George, Edda said, pronouncing the name in English fashion. Hey, Pena. I waved and went to sit down at the head of the table. I lit up the best-tasting cigarette that I'd had in a month and remembered with a slight shock what had happened down in Bungalow C-2. Over the next fifteen minutes, my whole day staff reported in. First came Garland Burns, my daytime senior custodian, a hale vegetarian from Georgia who was the only black Christian scientist I knew. Helen Plates dragged in moaning about how tired she was. Helen was an obese blonde Negro from Iowa who claimed her good health was due to the fact that she ate a whole pie every day of her life. Archie Ace Muldoon was right on time. He was the first white man who was ever properly in my employ. And finally, last as usual, 
Simona Ang appeared. She was an Italian-Chinese girl who was working her way through night school. They were my work gang, my union brothers, my friends. I had spent most of my adult years of hanging on by a shoestring among gangsters and gamblers, prostitutes and killers, but I never liked it. I always wanted a well-ordered working life. The Board of Education didn't pay much in the way of salary, but my kids had medical insurance, and I was living a life that I could be proud of. After some coffee and laughs, I gave out the special jobs from reports and requests left on my desk. Everybody set out on their daily tasks and the special jobs I gave. The cue for them to leave was me standing up. That meant it was time to go to work. One of the notes was a request for me to appear in the office of the principal, Hiram T. Newgate. I took the long tier of granite stairs that passed the large hill of grass to the older campus. By afternoon, any one of us could have taken those steps at a run, but the first time was always hard. Idabel was coming out of the side door of the administration building when I got there. Hi, Easy, she said. Mrs. Turner, I said with emphasis. Easy? What? I've got to go see about something. What's that? Nothing important. I just have to leave the campus for a while. You want to get your dog, I asked. No. No, I'll be back a little later, she said. Easy. Yeah. What if Holly came down here to the school and tried to pull me right out of my classroom? Don't worry about that, I said. A few kind words that I meant to keep her from fretting, but Mrs. Turner heard salvation in my voice. Oh, thank you, she warbled. She reached out for me, but I pushed her hands down and looked around to make sure that no one saw. I'm sorry, she said. It's just that I haven't met such a good man in a long time. She stood there for a moment, a kiss offered on her lips. When she saw that I wasn't going to collect right then, she smiled and went slowly past. As I watched her descend the stairs, I remembered reading the words, A Good Man is Hard to Find. With somebody like Idabel Turner looking for him, I could see why. Chapter 3 Hiram Newgate had been principal at Sojourner Truth Junior High School for four months. In that time, he had his office laid with thick maroon carpets, moved in a desk constructed from African ebony wood, and had teak shelving installed from ceiling to floor. He took the dictionary and its podium from the library and placed it in the window overlooking the coral tree that branched out over the main entrance of the school. Principal Newgate, as he preferred to be called, always wore a dark suit with a silk tie of bold and rich colors. Come in, Rawlins. Newgate held up the back of his hand and waggled his fingers at me. Mr. Newgate, I said. Jacoby, he said. Say what? 